It's an incredible honor to be with you this morning. Myers Park Baptist Church is certainly an inclusive congregation as you have invited a Lutheran to preach this morning. <laughs> Not only that, but I've been told I'm the first queer transgender Latina to preach from this pulpit. I thank you very much for this opportunity, and I pray the Holy Spirit guides me as I pro proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Now, when Reverend Mia reached out to me a few months ago and, and invited me to preach today, I was told I could select the reading for this morning. I was also told I was invited because of Women's History Month, and Myers Park is commemorating women who journey with Jesus. Frankly, I was giddy with excitement, as I've always been constrained by electionary, and I'm usually compelled to preach from a pre-selected text, such as the life of a Lutheran pastor. As I began my search for a perfect text that would really capture my profound devotion to Jesus Christ and how women have influenced my faith, I immediately thought of several passages from the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament where women are featured. But as a Lutheran who has the opportunity to preach and choose a text, I wanted to preach from the Gospel of John. That's why I selected for today's reading the prologue of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Now, why, you may ask, would I select a passage that is generally reserved for Advent, especially on the second Sunday of Lent? Well, the answer for me is simple. These first verses of the Gospel of John are all about the Word made flesh, Jesus taking on human form and in doing so, bestowing upon us the gift of grace and truth. Verses 12 to 14 are at the core of my faith in Jesus Christ and all my Bible verses I take from the NRSV. But all who receive God, who believe in God's name, they give power to become children of God, who are born not of the blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen the glory of God, the glory as of a parent's only son, full of grace and truth. My faith is very simple. I believe in the incarnation, the fact that Jesus took on, Jesus Christ was the only son of, of God, born of a woman and became fully human. In human form, Jesus embodied grace. Now, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus performs miracles. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus shows us signs of his divinity. Jesus heals the sick, restores the sight to the blind, walks on water, feeds the 5,000. These are all signs of God's grace. Many of the signs Jesus performs are included in the three other Gospels, but in John, the stories are more intricate. For not only are the signs described, the stories include people around Jesus who try to interpret the signs, and then Jesus explains what the signs mean. 
The narratives in John are much longer and much more involved. But, but of all the signs in the Gospel of John, the first sign, the wedding at Cana, is one that speaks to my heart, and I read it over and over again. The first sign Jesus performs is changing water into wine. Six stone jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons, equal a minimum of 120 up to 180 gallons of wine. That's, my friends, is a lot of wine. <laughs> that first sign Jesus performs is that of the abundance of God. But for me, the wine isn't necessarily the point of the story. Chapter 2 begins this way. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had, always, had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, and the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern of that is, of that is to me and to you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. The mother of Jesus initiated the ministry of her son. But I often wonder, did the authors of the Gospels do a little bit of editing to make everything sound a little bit better? I wonder if the interaction between Jesus and his mother was more like. I noticed she didn't bring anything to the party. They need more wine. It would be nice if you helped by getting a little bit of wine. But Ma, I just want to hang out with my friends. <laughs> then Jesus gets that look that only a mother can give. The mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Okay, I admit, I'm a total, a total church nerd, and maybe I need to start getting out a little bit more. But the only other time the mother of Jesus makes an appearance in the Gospel of John is in chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. Meanwhile, standing near the cross were, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. The Gospel of John doesn't name her, but we know from the Synoptic Gospels the name of the mother of Jesus was Mary. Full disclosure, I was raised in a Roman Catholic church, and I wasn't just Catholic. I was a really, really good Catholic boy. I loved going to Mass. And in the post-Vatican II church in the late 70s, early 80s, Guitar masses were all the rage, and I played guitar in two different groups. So I usually went to Mass on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. I attended Bible studies, and I went to church youth groups all the time. And at 18, I wanted to be a priest, but Mama and Grandma said no. I was the oldest son, and I was supposed to get married, have kids, and carry on the family name. Suffice it to say, I didn't become a priest, and I ended up going to college instead. Now, if you want to hear more about that story, 
Ask me during our time after service today. Anyway, I was raised Roman Catholic. The second thing you need to know about me is my birthday is on December 12th, the feast day of Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yo soy una Guadalupana. I am a Guadalupana, meaning for as long as I can remember, I have been devoted to Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe. Guadalupe is a name given to Mary, the mother of God who appeared to a native man on a hill called Tepeyac in the year 1531. I know in my heart Guadalupe has guided me and protected me my whole life long. Now I suspect these were not the words you expected to hear on, in a Baptist church on a Sunday morning. But when a Reformed Catholic, a Lutheran, who is a Latina, and I am in the pulpit, Mary is bound to be mentioned, especially since women in, in the history of the church are, the, are featured this month. Now, before I get run out of town, please allow me to tell you a short story a short version of the story of Guadalupe, and then I will explain my reformed version, reformed view of Mary. Now, I'll try and keep the story short because the entire version would take at least a half an hour to relate. The prologue. In 1492, Columbus accidentally found the island of Hispaniola. By 1519, conquistadores had conquered the Aztec Empire. Millions of the native population had been killed in battle or died of the diseases brought over in the Spanish galleons. Along with the conquistadores came the priests, who were directed by the Pope through the doctrine of discovery, and I quote, to convert the savages of the new world to Christianity. Their words, not mine. By 1531, the church was firmly established in the new world. This is where our story begins. Juan Diego was a native man. Honestly, I cannot pronounce his original native name, but Juan Diego had become a devoted convert to Christianity. On December 9th, he left his small village early in the morning to walk to Mexico City to attend Mass, as was his daily custom as a devout man. As he passed a hill named Tepeyac, he heard birds singing, and as he looked up the side of the hill, he saw a beautiful lady walking toward him. As he approached her, he fell to his knees the lady introduced herself to Juan Diego, saying, I am the ever-Virgin, Holy Mary, Mother of God, the God of great truth, Teotl, of the one through whom we live, the creator of persons, the owner of what is near and together, the Lord of heaven and earth. I am quoting from one of the books by a premier Guadalupe scholar, Virgil Elizondo. To move things along, Juan Diego was told by the lady to go to the Bishop of Mexico and tell the Bishop to build a hermitage on the hill where they were standing. 
Now, a hermitage could refer to a home for the homeless, an orphanage, or a hospice. In other words, she wanted a place where those who were displaced by war and disease could find comfort and solace. Juan Diego did as he was told. He went into the city and pounded on the doors of the house of the bishop. He begged and pleaded to see the bishop and was eventually allowed to have an audience with the bishop. He prostrated himself and then knelt at the foot of the bishop. He told the bishop all that he had heard and all that he had seen. The bishop did not give much credibility to the story and Juan Diego was sent away. He went home dejected. The next day, as was his custom as a devout man, Juan Diego left his home early in the morning to attend Mass. As he walked by the hill of Tepeyac, once again he encountered the lady. She asked him to take the message to the bishop, and Juan Diego did as he was told. For the second time, the bishop did not believe his story, but due to Juan Diego's persistence, the bishop told Juan Diego he needed a sign from the lady in order to give any credence to the request. On the third day, December 11th, Juan Diego did not go to Mass, for his uncle was ill and dying from smallpox. He was on his deathbed. Juan Diego cared for his uncle throughout the day and throughout the night, but on the morning of December 12th, he left his home to travel into the city to get a priest, for his uncle wished to confess before he died. As Juan Diego approached the hill of Tepeyac, he decided to go on the opposite side, for he didn't want to have a conversation with the lady. He had to get into the city to find a priest, so he went on the opposite side, but the lady appeared to him as he was walking by the hill. He fell to his knees and begged the lady, please, my lady, I must go to the city to get a priest for, so my uncle may confess before he dies. She said to him, do not worry, my son, your uncle is well. Juan Diego later found out his uncle was healed at that very moment. He told the lady of the request by the bishop for a sign. The lady bid Juan Diego to climb to the top of the hill at Tepeyac and collect what he found there. Remember, it was December and the ground was frozen. Juan Diego did not expect to find anything there, but to his amazement, he found Castilian roses growing, the bishop's favorite flower. Juan Diego collected the flowers and placed them in his tilma, a piece of cloth that he wore around his shoulders. He took the tilma to the lady, handed them to her. She arranged the roses in the tilma, wrapped them into a bundle, handed them back to Juan Diego. Here is the sign for the bishop. He hurried to the house of the bishop, and when he entered into the presence of the bishop, Juan Diego repeated the request. Our Lady wishes you to build a hermitage on the top of the hill at Tepeyac so her people might find comfort and solace. Juan Diego unfurled the tilma. The roses fell to the feet of the bishop, but the bishop took no notice of the tilma. For on that tilma appeared the Lady of Guadalupe, 
Her image was etched into the fabric of the tilma. And for 500 years, that, that image has not faded or worn away. This image is hanging on the wall of the Basilica of Nuestra Senora de Guadalupe to this day. Why is this story so important? Why do you see her image all over the southwestern United States and throughout Mexico? Our Lady of Guadalupe represents the birth of a new people, the mestizos, the people of Mexico. Now, there are a few critical facts about the image I must state, and I underscore these are only a few facts, for there are many, many more. Our Lady of Guadalupe spoke to Juan Diego in his native tongue, his native tongue of Nahuatl. And the original story was written down sometime in the late 1500s, early 1600s in Nahuatl. The original story is called the Nikan Mopohua. The face of our, of our Lady of Guadalupe is brown, the same color as the Mestizo people. Our Lady of Guadalupe is dressed in the traditional garb of a native woman. Around her waist is a cord signifying she was pregnant. Her appearance is reflected in Revelation 12, verses 1 and 2. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. One of my favorite and, frankly, I think one of the best summaries of her importance was written by a Lutheran pastor, Richard Elvey, at Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Paul, Minnesota. Excuse me, St. Peter. The power of the pregnant virgin asking Native Americans in a native tongue to become bearers of the good news of Jesus Christ to the Americas was a powerful experience. Native peoples who were being exterminated by foreign disease and decimated by oppression and war became the bearers of the news that Jesus Christ was waiting to be born in the Americas. The oppression of the conquistadores would not destroy the people. God's messenger, the mother of Jesus Christ, came to give hope and strength to a people wandering in despair. These conquered people were to teach their European conquerors the meaning of God's call to faith. These seemingly hopeless people were to become the hope of a hemisphere. With Jesus waiting to be born in the Americas, the Mexican people, the mestizos, were to give him a home. I'm not asking you to believe the story or take it as fact. Frankly, there are volumes written about the historical accuracy, and the story is clouded in controversy. But I tell you the story so you have some understanding how Mary, the mother of God, gives me strength and courage when I have nothing left to give. She is the woman who encouraged her son to begin his ministry of love. She is the woman who told us 
Do whatever he tells you. Mary, the mother of God, knelt at the foot of the cross when the rest of the disciples were cowering in fear. I still say the prayers associated with Mary, the rosary, but not as a devotion to Mary, but rather I say the rosary to remind me of the devotion Mary had to her son. I say the prayer so that I too may be a devoted disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. I say the prayers of the rosary, and as I say those prayers, I hear the voices of my mother, my aunts, and my grandmothers. Their faith was instilled in me. Their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ was instilled in me by their devotion to Mary and their devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that I may be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I pray that I may be a disciple that Jesus truly loves. Just as Christ said on the cross, woman, here is your son. I know Jesus has said to me, his disciple, here is your mother. I have taken her into my heart so I can love my Lord Jesus Christ with every fiber of my being. I know in my heart I am a child of God who was born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, or the will of humanity, but of God. And the word that became flesh and lived among us has revealed to us the glory of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.